Welcome to Page One or Bust, your ultimate guide to getting on page one of search engines. In this episode, we're talking to Jen Cornwell, the VP of SEO at Ignite Visibility, where she oversees a team of SEO experts who deliver customized and data-driven SEO campaigns to more than 100 clients, ranging from B2B lead generation to e-commerce to local SEO. Jen, Drew, and Ryan dive deep into the changing SERP landscape and what it means for industries like e-commerce, healthcare, B2B, and more. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Page One or Bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. Get insights, drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started creating content that ranks for free at demandjump.com today. And now here are your co-hosts, Drew Dutzler and Ryan Brock. Welcome back to Page One or Bust. This is your host, Drew Detzler. As always, joined by my co-host, Ryan Brock. Ryan, how are we? Yo, I'm living the dream today, Drew. It's a, it's it's just a good day, I think. How about you? How are you? No one ever asks how you are. You know what? You're right. No one ever asks me. I, I, I'm doing great, but a little bit better because we have a fantastic guest today, Jen Cornwell, the VP of SEO at Ignite Visibility. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Coming at us from blisteringly hot San Diego, California in January. We were just talking about how hot it is in January in San Diego. Yeah, well, we, could, we could debunk sunny San Diego. We got like a ton of rain on Monday and more to come next weekend, like actual flooding. We want the rain. Like we talk about the drought a lot. We can't actually hold the water. So we're struggling a little bit, but yes. Yeah. Myth busted. Right. Myth, myth, what What is the temperature there right now? It's actually it's supposed to be nice this weekend. It's going to be 70s. Okay, that's so enough. I can't complain too much, but it's been more like 50s, 60s the last few weeks, which is cold. For- oh, bummer. <laughs> I know, I know. Poor, here in the Midwest, it's 42 right now, and it feels like summer because it was negative five about a week ago. Yeah, we're so. wearing shorts right now. It's shorts <laughs> weather. 42 in uh, j- late January is shorts weather in the Midwest. So, uh, All right, everybody, That was that's it. Thanks for... See you next time. Great episode. <laughs> Bye. See you next time. All right. We'll cut that out. We never do. You always say that and we never we'll, do. I'm gonna we'll, we'll cut that in post. There's the Boy Meets World's like my favorite show ever. And there's a there's an episode where where Corey and Sean make a video and he's like picking his nose and he's like, ah, we'll cut that in post. And it makes it it makes it through. <laughs> laugh, laugh every time, little Corey. All right. Let's get back to Jen. Jen, let's just kick off by telling us a little bit about your current role and how you got into SEO. So right now. I lead the SEO team uh, at Ignite Visibility. I've been at Ignite for about six years now. So I make a lot of jokes about how that's like 100 years in agency years. But we started super small. I was like employee number 60. And now the team is or, or 200 as an agency. So we've grown a lot. But yeah, working with all kinds of clients, B2B, enterprise, e-com, lead gen, big variety. We have a lot of local. We have a local branch we've recently built out also. But I started in just local SEO. So I was working directly with chiropractors and dentists and optometrists and, you know, servicing their their websites and doing local optimization. Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey over the last, that was almost almost 10 years ago that I started as an, an intern learning how to do SEO. So been a long, long road. Very cool. Did you study marketing in school and, and was SEO covered at all? We did study marketing. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. It's one of the first. That's right. Yeah. Well, my undergrad was in graphic design. So totally unrelated, but I got this like cool marketing role where I got to do some design. So I went to grad school for advertising thinking I wanted to be a creative director. 
And then I realized there were a lot of people that were a lot better at that. So I started to really explore like strategy and what that looked like, research and development, that kind of thing. And I did have one, I had one digital marketing class. This was, you know, 10 years ago, one digital marketing class. And in the semester, we had one class about SEO. And that was the first time I heard about it. And the last time I thought about it until I got my first job, probably. So yeah, uh, I can't say I studied SEO necessarily, had heard of it before. Well, I, I, anytime someone talks about taking an SEO class in college, I'm like, I guess they have to say that they tried. But I just, it seems completely pointless to me to study SEO in a classroom setting. Yeah. Yeah. We were, le- I had to memorize for a media buying class, the Google auction, like equate, like how the Google auction works. That was something, you know, I totally don't really need to know, I guess, or understand on that level. Like, I don't need to have it memorized. So, yeah, I think it is a box in some ways. I would love to have the job someday, I mean, of just like figuring out how to force something like SEO to be a boring school subject. Like, how do you like, all right, what crap in here can I make my students memorize for no reason? Because they're never going to need to, because the whole point of this is that it's automated, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, we have a specialist who's not. US based, but someone I'm working with who is in a program for SEO. Like he is taking a, a college program. I don't know how long it is. I don't know a ton of details about it, but I was really surprised when he told me that because it does change so often. I'm like, how, you know, I guess you, you come out of it and then you're just set off to learn on your own for the rest of your life because what you learned then is going to be different in like five years or five months. <laughs> so, yeah. well, yeah, English kid over here, philosophy, not going to really do me any favors. But like, I do think it's interesting, Jen, that you have that graphic design background, because that's got to feel like a superpower. Even in an SEO director role, like being able to quickly provide feedback or, you know, mock little things up for yourself. Like, is, does that come into play ever in, in a specifically SEO type role like you have? Yeah. I mean, I think especially especially when I'm working with the small business owners, right, where they're like trying to be really scrappy and get the most value out of their dollar. So being able to consult on that stuff has really benefited me a lot and I'd say my clients. I think the the marketing background and the advertising background, like we spent some time in digital, but a lot of time talking about traditional and we're doing new business pitches and like thinking about more full, full spectrum and like holistic. That I think has also been something that's just paid off for me in the conversations I get to have. And, you know, I get to talk about cool things that I'm like, yeah, so for SEO, we'll just build a landing page. But like, here's this mega marketing campaign idea that I think where I play a very small part, but would be interesting. And being able to like engage that way is, is really fun. Actually, it's what I really enjoy. Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I would find that very helpful. So Jen, let's let's jump into what keeps you up at night. As an SEO, the changing SERP landscape. What keeps you up at night about what's changing in the SERP landscape? I. I mean, it's it's two-sided, right? It's like being really excited. It's like going to bed really excited for like Christmas, which is maybe a little bit dramatic, but cool. I'm so excited all this new stuff is going to show up. But then like panic waking up in the morning because, yep. because you're like, oh my God, it's so different. And how am I even going to navigate the space? So it's, I, I think it's, it's interesting. It's exciting. I think, you know, I, with clients talk a lot about how Google is a product that's a service for users and they don't care that you're trying to market your business. So you have to approach it that way to really understand why they're making the changes they are and, and how to, I guess, engage with some of those, those new, new things they're rolling out. 
Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. It's, it's hard not to take it personally as a business when yeah. Google rolls out a change and you see even the slightest change to get defensive and say, what the hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're punishing you. Why are you punishing me? And they, you have to keep in mind that it is their whole intention is to make users happy, be helpful to the end user so that they come back. Yeah. And, and click right. on ads and, and other yeah, things like exactly. that, right? Why? Well, but that, that clicking on ads part is, is something that that is an element of this that's got me not up at night because I take Trazid on every night, but, you know, certainly anxious during my quieter moments, which is like, like, you know, Google just laid off what? I, yeah. I swear it was like a thousand people from their ads team and like costs are going up, but people are, are finding as many opportunities as they can to not spend money on Google ads because nobody likes them. We all know that. Google knows that. Like none of us are clicking the ads thinking we found something that we're looking for. And yet with the new SGE experience that's coming in, there are like all these other places that someone can click and someone can read and someone can go and engage that doesn't take them out of the SERP. They just just stay put in the SERP and Google gets to collect that engagement data. They get to know what's going on. If you're good and if you're lucky and if you have a strategy that works, you might find yourself entering those generative cards and, you know, being the authority that Google's relying on. But like the whole game is shifting. There's like maybe, I don't know, a quarter to a third of the funnel now that like doesn't happen on our website anymore, or at least I don't think is going to. And that's going to require some major changes. Yeah. Yeah. In how we operate. Yeah. I mean, I think like we've seen paid continue to just take up more and more space and serve over the past five years, which yeah, Google's a business. They're trying to like make money. There's a little argument of like zero click and and I think it is really hard to measure the impact. And I think the, the hardest part for, for me has been navigating those conversations with clients where Yes, you you have stayed in position one or top three or whatever it is for this really big term year over year. But what SERP looked like is so different. So while the, the volume is the same and your position has stayed the same, the opportunity for them to do other things in the SERP to get more specific with what they're looking for is much, much higher than it would be. So like, how do you measure that? How do you navigate that conversation? I was at a conference where I asked that question. I asked a panel about, you know, how are they specifically for e-commerce, I think is mm-hmm. one of the biggest differences. And the response was, well, you just tell them to be prepared. <laughs> I was like, I mean, sure, educate them, but also, you know, what else What else is there that we could really talk about? They are there, and like, it's interesting hearing from your perspective because like you're external, so you're talking about communicating to clients. I was literally on a webinar yesterday uh, where I was talking about um, communicating to sales, like for internal <laughs> marketers. I That's something I don't hear anybody talking about. I don't hear any of the talking heads in the industry, many of whom I I know and respect, but I don't hear them talking about how like how important it's going to be to like not be adversarial with your sales team in in the future, because I think every marketer everywhere is about to have their lead generation knocked considerably. And I'm, I'm interested in like talking more with you, Jen, about like, how do you have those conversations? Like w- whether it's clients, whether it's people internally at your agency who have a stake in like the the metrics that, that you are responsible for. How do you communicate when things change that aren't in your control? Usually it's been algorithm updates to this point. This is a little different. It's a little bigger, but like things change. The paradigm shifts. The status quo isn't the same. Maybe the numbers that you've been putting up are going to look different, but like, how do you now? 
navigate through those kinds of changes? It sounds like you've been in, in your role here for long enough that you've seen a lot of those changes. I'd be interested to know if you have any tips yeah. for just talking through that with people who care. It's really tough. I think what we have to show them is the new opportunity that comes from the change So, or, or you know, what the strategic shift needs to be. So an example, we had a prospect who exactly it. They rank for promotional hats. This always drove so much of our business and now we're not seeing that same traffic come through. So we look at SERP and SERP is so different. And what, one of the things that's different is this faceted filtering so people can delineate before they get to the site. So they search for promo hats. Now they can click on men's, they can click on women, they can click on trucker style. And, and it just generates a new search. So it produces new results. So how are we optimizing for those more niche opportunities? And and have we driven traffic in that way before? Are these things, should we evaluate whether or not we should be showing up in this way? Because people people are getting more specific. Google is getting more specific. And, and it might be meeting a user's need. Even though that search volume behind the term is maybe like 10 or 20. So it, it I think, weaves uh, intent in quite a bit. It's like really thinking about what is the most impactful, intentful term for us. That education, like showing them, hey, look at this Google search or this keyword that is core to you. Do you think you fit within this list of sites that are showing up? It's something that our team does. And I think really helps the the client or whoever you're speaking to see what means about how Google is interpreting their business. It's a little long-winded, but but yeah, I think it's it's a lot of education and then new new opportunity analysis. No, that's great. And, and I like what you said there about you have to b- basically pitch the new opportunity. Something's always going to change. The algorithm's always going to change. What rules that algorithm is always going to change and, and, and your results are going to differ. So I, I like the idea of pitching the opportunity because at the end of the day, we have no choice but to assume and trust that Google is doing what is best for the end user. And if that changes where you fall in it, you have no choice <laughs> but to trust that what you were doing was not as helpful as you what know. the new number one or the new number <laughs> yeah. two is doing, right? Which is the world we live in. Yeah. Couple of thoughts. First, okay, bootlicker, trust Google. Yeah, <laughs> they, Google. they're real. They're real. <laughs> but that's my, that's my point. Uh, giving right? with their goodness, the, the do no evil stuff. That's my that's point, still right? There, though, right? That even even if they aren't, even if we believe they aren't, that we believe that the changes they make is not best for the end user, we have no choice but to assume it is because yeah. we can't make a change. Well, and something that I've really been thinking about a lot lately is just like how we define success. So, like when you're talking, Jen, about the opportunity like what is the opportunity here i i have to like almost say it to myself out loud or i forget that like the metrics that you're using to define and maybe even like defend or praise your work don't have to be the same metrics you use tomorrow like for instance if i'm afraid that sales is going to be pissed and maybe we're sending less leads than we used to because things are changing maybe we can put more of an emphasis on the quality of the leads right like that's a really good good trackable thing where we can we can take a look at well yeah people are educating more on the SERP we're present where we need to be so that by the time someone self-selects in they're ready to come to us and so you guys are having to do less disqualification mm-hmm. these are all things that I think are going to be part of the conversation this year for sure yeah yeah I know I agree with that too I think what the user journey looks like on site. We've been looping in a lot more CRO initiatives with clients and that are in tandem with SEO because conversion rate optimization and user experience and helpful content, like those are two things that go really hand in hand. So like, how are we, 
I, I agree with you too about the KPIs. It's like, what does success like? How are, how are we approaching our audience? And then what do we want to see come through on the other end? Or how are we qualifying the leads? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's shifting now. Yep, I tend to agree. Talk to me a little bit, Jen. You work with a lot of different types of clients. What industries are seeing the biggest impact from you know the changing SERP landscape? Yeah, e-commerce, I would say, is the biggest one in the last like three years. I was working with a uh, kitchen appliance client looking at juicers because they had ranked really well for juicers. And it was that exact scenario of they've always been on page one. It's a huge term, but we're seeing a, a dip in traffic on the page. And for just juicer, Google had included like brands and it's got an image carousel and it, it's got all of these huge elements. And really what it was, was Google doesn't understand the intent behind my search. It doesn't know what I'm trying to do when I just search juicer. Am I researching? Am I looking for reviews? Am I am I product shopping yet? I don't know. So it's added in all of these new features, I think, because it doesn't understand the intent entirely. But further, with e-commerce now, what we're seeing is it does understand the intent better. It knows I want to buy something. So how can I get you to what you need faster? So that faceted filtering on the side, I think I first started to see that in the last maybe two months, like maybe right before Christmas. And it's some of the terms. I can't get into pop for all of them. It could still be testing. Like we're trying to test it out internally here. But yeah, the e-commerce side for sure. I've seen, I think local, the way searches are geo-modified, have been seeing Google prioritize service pages over a geo-modified page that's maybe optimized for the area because it's just trying to serve the best result. And it already knows I'm in California. So it doesn't need me to include that in my search anymore. It's gotten a lot better at understanding what's happening on the page and then trying to meet that user's need, which I, I guess gets a little more algorithm, a little less SERP feature. The, but but yeah, I think the e-com for sure being the biggest gift and then local, I would say, is second. And Jen, you are you are quite right. It looks like 49% of e-commerce related queries are, are generating a uh, triggering some sort of AI situation, which is the second highest of any industry. Anyone want to guess what the number one is? I think it's health and medical. Nailed it. You are correct. You're talking about the same study? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Search Engine Land, Danny Goodwin yeah. himself. We could put the link in the show notes, but yeah. Healthcare, 76% of all queries. E-commerce, 49. B2B tech, 48. So it's right there too. Yeah. And then it starts dropping off from there. Uh, finance, only 17%, which I think is interesting. It's almost like I have seen Google literally, all of Google's responses that have to do with finance start with, I am not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice. They probably don't want to really get into that that much. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, but with, healthcare seems like a hot I was gonna say, potato too. With yeah. medical, we saw, I haven't been able to recreate it. Someone on the team sent a screenshot. Instead of people also ask, it said, ask a doctor, yeah. which is so horrifying, honestly. It's so <laughs> scary because it's still filling the exact same thing. It's still those drop down questions. So yeah, I I think medical, because it's that YMYL, they've got to feel some type of way about trying to suggest the best answer. So that so that track for me. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think of other ways they're gonna end up using it, which is how SGE is now, but who knows? Man, we know that it's it, it's it's not as accurate as it can be, right? Oddities occur when this AI produces results and mashes things together. Right. It, 
think about how terrifying WebMD is when you go and, and search a headache and you, you think your life's ending. <laughs> Imagine now when this AI is just slapping stuff together. Of course, they have fail safes and other things in place, but it, it's inevitable that it's going to give you something eventually that absolutely terrifies you. Right. Yeah. Healthcare is an interesting one. That's it surprising. Is. It is. Yeah. Ecom, anecdotally, I've used SGE for price shopping. So it did a really great job of finding me some less expensive ink cartridges. I told it exactly what product, you know, I, I found the the name brand one, and then I told it to find me replace, replacements that were less expensive. And it did. And I ordered them from Walmart and they were 35 bucks and it was great. So I think I, I see that like navigating the journey. If they can figure out how to assist the user, that'll be really interesting because I do think there's a level of understanding how to use the AI to your advantage. That's not intrinsic for every person who's not using AI every day, like a marketer is potentially, right? But yeah, yeah really interesting to see them, how they'll build it in to, to serve. Agree. Before we wrap up here, I want to I want to get back to one one more question around what you said about seeing it as an opportunity <laughs> and uh, approaching it this change as an opportunity uh, as opposed to I don't know a punishment, right? Do you have any success stories of someone who has been impacted by this change or seen their results impacted who has seen it as opportunity and conquered? We have. So we have a couple ecom clients, and I don't. I guess my my holistic view on it is that it's actually not that different from what you would probably want to do in a campaign two years ago, right? It's about like, how are you showing up for the user? How are you acting on the opportunity? And are you creating a, a good user experience? Are you are you adding to the conversation? Are you adding value for your consumer? But e-com, we've seen like adding in just color pages. We have a a retailer that sells like Hermes bags. <laughs> they they re resell Hermes bags. So yeah, just green Hermes bag, like boom, opened up a ton of opportunity for them. It's a little more niche. It's a little lower search volume. The intent is right. And then we're we're just presenting a page that that answers someone who's searching for, for that specific term. So they, they've seen some really great results coming out of the content helpfulness update. Sort of this really nice climb from October through December. As a, as a result of that. Beautiful. Jen, fantastic conversation. Before we let you go, though, we'll do what we call lightning round, where we ask you yeah. a few quick questions and you rattle off answers. Sound good? Yeah. Jen, what was the last thing that you searched for? It was hook Spotify up to my stream deck. Yeah. Got a stream deck to do some work efficiency, and it's a lot more development work than I saw when I bought it. <laughs> Did you get it figured out? Not yet. There's a new project. New project this week. Okay. All right. Just getting started. I, I like it. The results, not great. Was not happy with the results. I was kidding, which is why I haven't figured it out yet. Dang. <laughs> when you AI, maybe SGE. would have done it for you. Uh, okay. So next question, Jen, are there any books or movies that have made you a better marketer? The one I read most recently that I really liked from a marketing pers perspective was Sh Sh Dog, the Nike story. 
And it's really just how Nike came to be. And it's a little bit of a, a memoir in a way, but I just thought it was really interesting story on sort of like persistence and, and all of these things that you need to have to continue to be innovative in, in a new market. That was really interesting. Drew and I, we, we first bonded over our, our love of shoes. You're not a shoe person? I'm not a huge sneakerhead. Like I do oh, love, man. I love a good sneaker, but I'm not, I would not call myself a sneakerhead. Our creative director is, and his weekly updates, he sends the shoe drops of the week and then whether or not he bought them. It's always really interesting. See, the, the weird thing is, is like we used to like wear our nice fun shoes that match our outfits into the office. But now that we don't go into the office, we're fully remote. I don't wear shoes ever, like at all. They just sit in a box. Yep. It's a shame. They'll stay new though. Okay. Last question. We have busted the myth that it is always hot in San Diego, but how about content strategy and SEO myths? Have you busted any marketing SEO content strategy myths over your career? Yeah. Well, do we all bust the myth of like good content is better? I don't know. <laughs> Quality content is better. Most recently, AI content, I think. Um, is it working? Is it not? I've been doing some analysis on some sites that got hit by the content helpfulness update. They came to us. We reviewed. It's AI content. Guess what? It's not doing well. It's not passing AI detectors. So is AI really writing that quality content for you? In this case, very much no. So yeah, I would say it's it's that. And then the volume versus intent sort of struggle of do I chase the high search volume or chase the intent? And it's the intent is always going to win for you from a business perspective. And optimization. Your campaign is going to be better if you're really aligned. So those two things I think have been more recent and over the course of the career, just how we look at keywords. Beautiful wrap, Jen. Great conversation. We appreciate it and I hope you had a good time. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Are you ready to dive even deeper into pillar-based marketing? Here's your chance. The brand new book, Pillar-Based Marketing, a data-driven methodology for SEO and content that actually works by co-hosts Ryan Brock and Christopher Day is now available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook editions. Find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or look for the link in the show notes.